you have a Bible, I'm going to encourage you to join me in Matthew chapter number one. Matthew chapter number one. This morning we have a, a four-part series for Christmas entitled The King Has Come, and I am just going to move this thing over here. So there you go. So we can know whose crown that really is. Uh, that the, the title of our series, The King Has Come, it's important to me because there is a segment of Christianity that only sees the kingdom of God as a future reality. Many of them are easy to spot because they live with a doomsday mentality like we're only going to survive down here until we finally get up there where we'll belong. But, and I'll be the first to admit, we certainly live in a broken world, in a world that really struggles to resemble the kingdom of God. But we cannot forget that Jesus said to pray to the Father, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth. The kingdom of God is, is meant to be here with us. It's not just something that we, we wait for. And I'm convinced that because the king has come, the brokenness of our world is both being restored and redeemed as the kingdom of God breaks through into this world. But in saying the king has come, we're left with a couple of questions. And they're questions that we're going to kind of go over for these couple of weeks. Questions like, well, who is the king? And why do I need a king? And well, what kind of a king? And what does this kingdom even look like? But I realize for, for anyone who gathers in a church service with a group of followers of Jesus, when we say the king has come, they know we're talking about Jesus. But I wonder how many of us as followers could explain why we believe he is the king. And that's what we want to explore this morning. We're going to begin in Matthew chapter number one. In Matthew chapter number one, the gospel of Matthew opens with this statement, Matthew 1, 1. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And for a number of verses, we get to read that this person begat, this person begat, this person, this father and father. We're going to skip all that, okay? And go straight to verse 17. It says, thus there were 14 generations in all from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile in Babylon, and 14 from the exile to the Messiah. And then verse 18 says, this is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. So if you're following, there's three references to the Messiah. Two of them specifically say Jesus, the Messiah, but I wonder how many of us here do we even know what the word Messiah means? What is a Messiah? And who gets to claim that Jesus is that Messiah? Just Matthew, the author of this gospel? Let's keep reading. Go on to chapter number two. See what it says. It says, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem and Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed in all Jerusalem with him. So if you don't know the Bible story real well, let me just explain real fast. There was a man named Herod sitting on a throne. He was the king of the Jews. 
But because he was appointed by a Caesar who lived in Rome, and Rome was ruling the whole world, so a Caesar put Herod here. He's the king of the Jews, and now some people from outside of the kingdom show up in front of his throne and ask the king of the Jews, where is the king of the Jews? And he's disturbed, is what the scriptures say. Look at verse number four, what he does. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. So we got to pause. So this, this appointed king calls the Jewish chief priests and teachers of the law, the law being the Old Testament. He's like, hey, you guys know your book. Where was the Messiah to be born? Now, how would they know? Except they had these 39 books called the Old Testament, or we sometimes call them the law. And, and the Old Testament prophets and the Old Testament authors had sketched this outline, or I think better it would be like they were putting dots, where once you connected them would, would show an outline of, of a Messiah. But what is a Messiah? Well, look at verse number five. Let's just keep reading. They answer him and they say, in Bethlehem, in Judea. They replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. So these, these very wise religious leaders, they quoted a man whose name is Micah. He was a prophet. There's a book called Micah in our Old Testament. And in that, in that book, Micah said to the town of Bethlehem, there's two towns of Bethlehem, so he specified it, the Bethlehem in Judea, out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people. Do you remember what we read in chapter 2, verse 1, about where Jesus was born? In Bethlehem, in Judea. And so Micah is starting to this, this outline of, of who this Messiah would be. But again, it's still this question of what is a Messiah and why do we need one? And so I am going to give you a very brief crash course of the Old Testament. In Genesis chapter 1, if we were to go back to Genesis 1 and 2, the Lord created and ruled the heavens and the earth with his word because that's how kings rule. They, they'd make decrees with their words and laws are created. They, they, they tell someone to build something and things are born. And so when God spoke, the world was created. And then God spoke and he gave rule and dominion to a man named Adam. He had made Adam in his own image and then said, I want you to rule creation with me. But if you know the story of the Garden of Eden, Adam fails. Adam wants to be his own king instead of follow the, the words of the king that had created him. And, and so because of that, he, because of his rebellion, judgment is brought down on Adam and Eve, but hope is brought to the world. That hope comes in the form of Genesis 3.15. When God is speaking to Satan and he says, there will be a seed of woman who will crush your head. This is of the serpent who had deceived Adam and Eve. And he said, but I will send, I will send one and he will crush your head. And that 
crushing of the head begins this dot of looking for the Messiah, the one who would restore humanity to its relationship with the Creator. And starting with Eve, every generation began looking for this promised one, and God got to work. And since Adam and Eve had failed, he started over with a new family, Noah. Because Adam and Eve's descendants had become so sinful, God sent a worldwide flood to cleanse the world of its wickedness, and he chooses a new family to start with Noah and his family. And he says, go into all the world, go multiply, fill the earth. But Noah and his family, they don't do that. They actually stay together, build a tower called Babel to make a name for themselves. A second failure. And so God steps right into the middle of that failure to choose another family. A man named Abraham, who would become the father of a nation called Israel. And with this nation of Israel, God would make a binding covenant, one that we've talked about in our church, where God said, I will be your, pe- I will be your God, you will be my people. And so, of course, as we all know, the third time's the charm. It didn't work with Adam and his family. It didn't work with Noah and his family. Of course, it's going to work with Abraham and his family, Right? Well, well, we can read their story because beginning in Genesis chapter 12, the, world, the, the, the scripture no longer highlights the world. The scripture comes and brings a focus on one family in the world. And that family was important because in Genesis chapter 12, God tells this one family, through you, all the world would be blessed. That was another dot of how to know who the Messiah was because that Messiah would not just be the seed of woman. That Messiah would come through the family of Abraham. But things don't work out well for Abraham's family. Two generations after Abraham was brought to a new land, his grandson Jacob takes him and his whole family, 12 sons, and they end up in the land of Egypt. And in the land of Egypt, they begin to grow into a stronger nation. But the king of Egypt sees it, and he sends out a decree that all the babies should be killed. But there's one little baby who survives, and his name is Moses. And Moses has an incredible story. You have to know the story of Moses. It's important because he survived an assassination. He was saved by going into an Egyptian family in the palace. He was raised in a palace. He he returned, though, to help his people, and he confronted their greatest enemy and brought victory. He led them through waters. He followed the Spirit into the wilderness. There was a pillar of fire by day, a pillar of fire by night, a pillar of cloud by day. He he spoke the law of God from a mountaintop. He even offered himself as a substitute on behalf of the people, and he led them right to the brink of the promised land. Moses is an incredible figure in the Old Testament. It's important, and what happens is at the end of Moses' life, though, is he says, I cannot lead you into the promised land, but there will come one who is like me, but greater than I. There's another dot. It's not just the seed of woman. It's not just the family of Abraham, but a prophet who was like Moses. And as the Old Testament continues, there's a man named Joshua or Yeshua who leads them into the promised land. They begin to be ruled by people called priests and judges and eventually priests and kings. And here's where Messiah comes. Because priests and kings were anointed with oil to show that they had been chosen by God to lead his people. The oil of anointing was important. And in Hebrew, 
the word anointed one is Meshiach, which is where we get the term Messiah. There were many Messiahs in Israel, though. Any king and any priest who was anointed was an actual Messiah. There were many bad kings. There were some good kings, and there was one king in particular. His name is David. Oh, David has an incredible story. As David wants to build a temple for God, and God looks at David's heart and says, I love you so much because you love me. David, I will keep one of your lineage on the throne forever. There's another clue. Because now it's not just the seed of woman. Now it's not just of the family of Abraham. Now it's not just a prophet like Moses. But he comes from the lineage of David. After David, many bad kings come to lead the people into false worship. But along with the bad kings, there were some true prophets of God who would stand up and say, repent, come back to God, abandon your false worship, come back to God. But because they were true prophets, they knew the people would never do that. They knew that Israel was destined for destruction. And so not only were they preaching messages of repentance, they were also including in every message hope. You won't, but one will. You won't, but one is coming, and you will lose this land because of your rebellion, but one who through his obedience will return what you have lost. They will, he will bring you back to the presence and to the relationship that sin will cost you. And so, as the days wore on and history took its turn, the world began to be ruled by the Greeks the Greeks, the language of the Greeks would take over much, and the word anointed one in Greek is Christos. In English, it's Christ. So by the time Jesus comes, you have to understand, the people of Israel were looking for one who was of the seed of woman, from the family of Abraham, who would be a prophet like Moses, from the line of David, and who would deliver and restore to them what they had lost. Now, may I remind you of what we read in the book of Matthew. Here's what we read. Matthew 1.18, that before Mary and Joseph came together, she was found to be pregnant. That means this is not a child of Joseph's. This is a child of Mary's, the seed of woman. And you remember how it all started out? The genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, <laughs> the son of Abraham. Look at the outline is taking shape. Jesus is the seed of woman. He's, he's in Abraham's line. He's in, he's in David's line. Is he anything like Moses? Well, let's, let's look at the life of Jesus. When he was a baby, King Herod wanted to kill all the babies. He survived assassination. He was saved by running into Egypt and being cared for by the people of Egypt. He was raised in a heavenly palace. He, he came to his 
people. He confronted their greatest enemy. He walked through the waters of baptism as the Spirit of God came upon him. He followed the Spirit of God into the wilderness to be tempted where he would defeat their greatest enemy. He spoke the law from a mountaintop. We call it the Sermon on the Mount. And here's where we see Jesus as a greater Moses. Moses asked to be a go-between. Moses asked to be the substitute. He asked to be an intercessor, and he could not be, but Jesus becomes the intercessor for his people. We have one greater than Moses, and Moses couldn't take the people into the promised land, and guess where Jesus leads his people? Right, not to Israel, right into the presence of God. That's He's the greater. He's the greater Moses. We have this beautiful, who's our king? He's the seed of woman, the family of Abraham, a prophet greater than Moses, of the lineage of David, who has come to restore what has been lost. Yes. But how does Jesus' story go? What do they do to him? They're looking for a Messiah. He fulfills what their Old Testament asks for, and they put him on an old rugged cross. Why? And I think it's simple. And I think it speaks not just to people in the time of Jesus, but the time of today. While Jesus fulfilled the biblical prophecies, He did not fulfill their personal expectations. You see, the nation of Israel was not looking for someone to defeat Satan. They were looking for someone to defeat Caesar. They did not see sin as their greatest enemy. They didn't see the need to conquer hatred. They saw the need to conquer Herod. And so when Jesus takes a coin and says, render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's and unto God the things that are God's, they said, no, there's nothing we want to give Caesar except to move out of here. And when Jesus did not lead the nation of Israel into a revolt against the king of the Jews, they said, then we will look for another Messiah. And the truth is, Many of us do the same thing today. When Jesus does not give us what we want, when we want it, and in the way we want, it becomes very easy to dismiss him and turn to others to find our own fulfillment. You might believe Jesus is a good man, even a prophet. You might even believe he's the son of God. But let me ask you, how often do you turn to what he says as your hope? versus your salary. Are you looking for what Jesus has already given you to fill your hearts this Christmas, or are you looking for the gifts under a tree that are still to be bought in a store? Is that what is going to truly bring you fulfillment this Christmas? And there are some who will look at the world and see the chaos and say, if there's, a, if there's chaos like this in the world, there cannot be a good God Those same people then, they'll have to admit, if you're saying that a good God can't exist in a world of chaos like this, that means the chaos isn't God's fault. It's going to be here whether there's a God or not. You know why we need a God? Because we need hope in the chaos. We need a deliverer 
We need somebody that we can look to who says, I have come to restore what is lost, what is broken. And only in God do we find that deliverance, and that deliverance is in Jesus. Because heaven's response to the sin of man was to send the Son of God. Hallelujah. Who is the king that has come? His name is Jesus. He is Jesus, the anointed one, the Messiah, the Son of God, the King of kings. And because Jesus has come, so is the kingdom of God coming. It's not here in its fulfillment yet. But as we pray, thy kingdom come, we see it more and more. I'm just going to skip to the end. The plan of Jesus is simple. The plan of Jesus to restore the world is in place, and it's simple. It's called the church. You are the plan. Because when there's a group of people who recognize Jesus as their king, who follow him as their king, and begin to live like their king, the world begins to change. Forgiveness, love, kindness, gentleness, joy, when that becomes a part of our life, not because we want people to recognize us, but because we recognize Jesus as our king and we want to live like him, it will change the world around us. But many, many miss it. So can I encourage you today? Believe in Jesus as the king who has come. Believe in him. And follow him. And follow him. And while we look for his second coming, we don't miss what he's called us to do today. Thy kingdom come. The king has come. The kingdom is coming and will find its fulfillment in his second return. Who is that king? His name is Jesus. Would you pray with me?